The Mandalorian's latest episode revealed a major problem. Welcome back to Nerdist News. I'm Dan Casey, and today we're breaking down the latest episode of The Mandalorian. Directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, the cameo-filled episode took us to a side of the Outer Rim we've never seen before, and it even confirmed one of our theories. But the biggest villain of the episode wasn't someone trying to undermine the hedonistic lifestyle of Plazier 15's decadent democracy. Rather, it's the structure and pacing of the show itself. Because I want to get the information fast and get to the fleet. Because instead of giving important plot points meaningful breathing room, they are punching it to light speed in a way that makes the show feel like it simultaneously has too much and not enough story to tell. Now we're gonna break it all down for you in just a moment, but to do so, we have to discuss the latest episode in detail, Guns for Hire. So if you haven't seen it yet and you want to avoid spoilers, well buckle up before it's too late. This is not a request. Okay, let's get into it, shall we? The latest episode of The Mandalorian feels very much like The Clone Wars, for better or for worse. As part of her mandate from the Armorer to recruit wayward Mandalorians, Bo-Katan brings Din and Grogu to the Outer Rim. She's trying to reclaim her fleet, which was taken from her by the Night Owls and their new leader Axe Woves after they abandoned her for failing to reclaim the Darksaber. In classic Mando fashion, their plans are swiftly upended by a side quest to uncover the mystery behind malfunctioning droids on this otherwise peaceful and gluttonous world of Plazier 15. Now, it's not my favorite episode in the series by a long shot, but it is always satisfying to see new shades of the galaxy far, far away, including one that feels like the capital from Hunger Games was rebuilt in Epcot Center. They even have a monorail. The episode itself is chock full of cameos, which can be distracting until the initial shock wears off, especially when there are so many in a single episode. Here we have Jack Black as Captain Bombardier, Lizzo as the Duchess, and Christopher Lloyd as the Separatist simp, Commissioner Hellgate. Separatist is a pejorative term. In subtler cameos, we have Bryce Dallas Howard's spouse, Seth Gable, as the droid bartender at the Resistor, Tom Holland's younger brother, Harry, who voiced the Mon Calamari princeling, and Black Lightning's Christine Adams, who played the Corrin Captain Shugoth. She's doing her best impression of a guild navigator from Dune, and she might be named for that tentacular Lovecraftian nightmare, Shugoth, from At the Mountains of Madness. You also have Dale Dickey as the main Ugnaught, and General Grievous himself, Lucasfilm sound editor Matthew Wood, lending his pipes to the droid foreman at the docks. What are you doing? Guns for Hire also dredges up plenty of Clone Wars clone lores with mentions of Count Dooku, the Separatists, and the Techno Union. So it's a great time for fans of the Confederacy of Independent Systems. Separatist is a pejorative term. Unfortunately, much like Count Dooku, in its final moments, the show demonstrated that it has a real tendency to get ahead of itself. Do it. Now, let me be clear, I have nothing against a good old-fashioned side quest episode. That part of the episode was fine. It's something that The Mandalorian Season 1 did exceptionally well. You have this Monster of the Week-style storytelling with Mando and Grogu on some adventure, while in the background, the macro plot slowly advances. The key word there, though, is slowly. Because here, Bo-Katan's biggest hurdle is resolved in a matter of mere moments. After sinking into a deep depression following her failure to secure the Darksaber from Moff Gideon, Bo-Katan lost everything. Her fleet, her sense of self-worth, and now her family's ancestral castle thanks to the Imperial Remnant. But now, through Din Djarin and Grogu, Bose had a spiritual reawakening amid the ruins of Mandalore. It's something that renewed her faith in her people and reminded her of what they're really fighting for. Bose's next big quest given to her by the Armorer is to find a way to unify the fractured, scattered Mandalorian people, starting with her former Night Owl compatriots and her stolen fleet. 
That's a pretty weighty mission any way you slice it. I mean, consider Bo-Katan's arc up until now. She's the rightful leader of the Mandalorian people, a scion of the Mandalorian royal family, turned terrorist, turned people's champion who ultimately lost everything when the Empire came to power. But she's had her legitimacy repeatedly undermined and stolen from her in the eyes of her comrades, especially now because she has no legitimate claim to the Darksaber, or so we're led to believe by the end of her battle with Axe Woves. But instead of ending on a cliffhanger with the prospect of a duel between Din Djarin and Bo-Katan, they immediately deflate that tension with a technicality no down Boo over but who can wield the Darksaber? Now, obviously, Din doesn't want to fight Bo, and he doesn't give a damn about the Darksaber. It's just a freaking glow stick to him. But the way this sequence played out was so ham-fisted and clunky that it kind of sapped all the energy and momentum from what should have been Bo-Katan's big moment of triumph especially because it's a tableau and narrative beat we've already seen before. We saw this exact same moment with Bo-Katan on Star Wars Rebels. She's proven herself more than capable of uniting these clans and having what it takes to lead. And this moment should fill us with that same sense of awe and excitement, but instead, it's just our heroes standing in a field in broad daylight waiting for the credits to roll. And for a series as obsessed with echoing the past as Star Wars... Again, it's like poetry, it's sort of they rhyme at least have the decency to mirror that shot of Bo-Katan lifting the Darksaber above her head. Hopefully it'll work. Look, I understand they're dealing with a limited number of episodes in season three, and Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni don't want to waste too much time getting to the reclamation of Mandalore. But taking a moment to let some of these plot lines breathe only serves to make the final product better. Because currently, The Mandalorian's juggling roughly six major plot lines. The quest to reclaim Mandalore, Moff Gideon's escape, the mystery around Palpatine's cloning program, Grogu following in Tar Vizsla's footsteps to be both Jedi and Mandalorian, the New Republic's ineptitude in the power vacuum after the Empire's fall, and the rise of the First Order. Now, for a time, The Mandalorian really felt like a new hope for the galaxy far, far away. The messy, disjointed nature of the sequel trilogy left the fandom bitterly divided. This lone wolf and cub-style narrative about a bounty hunter raising a child on the outer rim of the galaxy far, far away felt like a breath of fresh air. And the scale of the series has understandably exploded along with its popularity. Our heroes are finding themselves embroiled in far bigger conflicts than when we initially started. But the show's recent unwillingness to sit with those conflicts for more than a few moments makes it difficult to stay invested. Are our heroes facing a potentially life-altering challenge? Don't worry, they'll most likely have their answer a couple of scenes later. At this point, neither Din Djarin nor Grogu are the most important characters on their own show. And look, that's fine, especially if The Mandalorian now refers to Bo-Katan as Michael Walsh explored in his recent essay on Nerdist. Din and Grogu's storyline very much felt like it concluded back in season two, but then it was inexplicably resolved in the most meaningful way possible on an episode of The Book of Boba Fett. And that also speaks to one of the biggest issues with these interconnected stories that Filoni and Favreau are telling. There isn't enough story to go around. The Tome of Robert Fettuccini is maybe the best example of this. Two and a half episodes of that seven-episode series were basically just episodes of The Mandalorian shoved inside Boba Fett's helmet. Not only that, but it features maybe the most poignant development in the Mandalorian series. Grogu choosing to abandon his Jedi training and follow Din, just as Luke Skywalker abandoned his training with Yoda in Empire Strikes Back. To put something this meaningful smack dab in the middle of the Book of Boba Fett, I will never understand that decision as long as I live. He doesn't understand. 
Much more understandable is why we're seeing some of the plot lines we're seeing on The Mandalorian, because it kind of feels like Lucasfilm is trying to repurpose elements of the Rangers of the New Republic series. Why, you ask? Well, let's just say that Cara Dune died on the way back to her home planet and leave it at that. And that seems to be why we're seeing more of a spotlight on things like the New Republic's Imperial Amnesty program, the various ways the New Republic's repeating the mistakes of their predecessors, and how they're creating the circumstances for new fascist forces like the First Order to rise from the ashes of the Imperial Remnant. And the result is that when we do spend time with our ostensible heroes rather than Dr. Pershing on the worst day of his life, we have limited screen time during which to speed through meaningful character development. It's a mistake that I hope the creative team is able to course correct on by the season finale, because for the time being, it kind of seems like they're more concerned with maneuvering all the pieces on this game board to set up the next series, in this case, Ahsoka, rather than spending time exploring the philosophical questions about faith, family, and power that they're actually raising. And look, with all of that said, it isn't all bad. I still very much love this series and believe in its potential. It's a show that really made me love Star Wars again, and I just want to see it be all that it can be, rather than feeling like it needs to make the proverbial Kessel run in way less than 12 parsecs. Anyway, folks, there you have it. That's everything you need to know about the latest episode of The Mandalorian. And with just two episodes to go, there's a lot of ground to cover by the season finale. So will the season end with the Mandalorians fully reclaiming their homeworld? Will we see Moff Gideon make his not-so-triumphant return? Will both of those events happen on a random episode of Skeleton Crew? What do you think? For now, though, we'll keep you up to date on all things Star and Wars over on Nerdist. In the meantime, tell us, what did you think of this episode? What do you think about The Mandalorian's pacing so far? And how do you think the season will end? Do you think we're going to have to blast our way out of here? We'll find out. Let us know in the comments below. And for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, make sure you stay tuned to Nerdist.com. 